you looking for postpartum support in 2021? Are you ready to feel loved up, nourished and treated like an absolute queen after your baby is born? Then I might be the postpartum doula for you. Visit my website www.postpartumwithsteph.com, download my offerings and if you like what you see, email me at postpartumwithsteph at gmail.com. I have a range of in-home support packages along with online support and mini packages too. I would love to hear from you if you are ready to rock life after birth. This episode of Postpartum with Steph was recorded on the stolen land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Postpartum Stories with Steph, candid conversations with mums and sometimes dads about the precious yet chaotic time that is life after birth. My name is Steph, woman, warrior, wife, mother, coffee lover and feminist. I'm a postpartum doula in Melbourne and you can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph with a PH. Through this podcast, I will chat to women and birthing people in a real and raw way about their postpartum experience. So sit back, grab a cuppa, even if it's cold, take off your bra and enjoy. Hello everyone, I am excited to be back after a few months of no episodes. Uh, I've finally been able to find a bit of time to bring you this one, which um, I'm really excited about. Uh, Today's episode is with Lulu Well. Uh, Lulu and I connected on Instagram and, you know, we seem to have a lot in common and I thought that she'd be great to come on the podcast and talk about her postpartum experience. Um, Lulu's a creator. She is a, a patchworker. Patchworker? That sounds wrong. Someone that makes beautiful patchwork. Um, and she's also a postpartum doula. And uh, she talks to me about how her birth experience, which was quite a traumatic experience, impacted her postpartum and how... It took many, many months for Lulu to be able to finally say what she needed and ask for what she wanted and be able to start enjoying time with her son. Um, But obviously there were um, lots of highs and lows in between that period. So um, I think it's something that a lot of women, a lot of birthing people will be able to relate to. And so I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing it. It was really funny while we were talking. Obviously, Lulu makes um, these beautiful patchwork quilts and she was talking about how, um, you know, piece by piece, you you bring a patchwork quilt together. It starts off quite small and um, it grows into something bigger and you're not quite sure at the beginning what it's going to look like at the end. And I couldn't help but think about how symbolic that representation is of not only Lulu's postpartum journey but a lot of our postpartum experiences where we are sort of piecing ourselves back together and we never quite look the same as we did before which I think is quite beautiful 
Anyways, I'm going to leave it there. Um, I will leave all of Lulu's details in the show notes. Um, you can connect with her on Instagram at the Sunspell, so the S-U-N-S-P-E-L-L. Um, but I'll leave all of her other details in the show notes. Uh, I hope you enjoy this one. And if you do, please leave a review and a rating and say all of the nice things and tell your friends. Okay, bye. I'm joined today by the lovely Lulu. Very exciting to finally speak to you kind of in person, even though we're via Zoom. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about who you are and who's in your life? Sure. So I'm Lulu Well. I'm a mother to a two and a half year old called Sunday. I'm a loving partner to Kyle. Um, I work in a bit of a mixed field. I like to consider myself a textile artist and a postpartum doula. So I make patchwork quilts, I design them and write patterns for them. And I teach people how to make their own. Mm -hmm. And I've just recently, since having my son become obsessed with postpartum Mm -hmm. and postpartum care. So I've spent the last two years sort of educating myself and unraveling everything that happened in my own postpartum um, and just getting thirstier and thirstier for knowledge about uh, postpartum care and where we're getting it wrong, uh, you know, as a society and as a culture and how better can we show up and support mums? Because babies are great, don't get me wrong, I freaking love babies, but there's this real shift in focus from the birthing person to the baby and I would love to keep some of the focus on the birthing person too because they're such an important part of the equation. Um, and I'm living in Melbourne, surrounded by a beautiful community um, of mostly friends where I'm living. I'm separated from my family. They live um, a bit further away. So just moving through life, bumbling my way through life um, and just trying to embrace it all for the beauty that it is and also for how brutal it is. You know, it's mm-hmm. such a existence, uh, motherhood. So just really trying to um, embrace all of it. Yeah. Embrace all of it. Um, easier said than done. Yeah. I love that introduction. And for anyone, I'll leave your Instagram handle at the beginning of the show, but um, even just looking at your page, you know, seeing the work that you do, like your creative work and your patchwork work, <laughs> it's so beautiful and vibrant and gorgeous. And like, yeah, it's just, I hope everyone goes and has a look at everything because what you're doing is just amazing and I guess combining it with the postpartum is awesome too because there's you know um big contrast between those two different styles of work Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just a really interesting um what's the word I'm looking for like sort of mirror image each other in a way but I'm interested to learn more about how your um creative side comes into your um postpartum doula side and we'll get we might get to that a little bit later but I'm wondering what the first few days and weeks of postpartum was like for you mm, um it's sort of hard to talk about postpartum in my experience without touching on the birth mm-hmm. uh, and I hate trigger warnings because it's not my job to assess if anyone else is being triggered by me but I will do a content label it's it's a traumatic story. Mm. Um, I had a really complicated birth. The day before I gave birth, I found out that I had a 
complication with my pregnancy called polyhydramnios, which is excess amniotic fluid. Um, but because I was rolling through the public system, I had no continuous care. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't caught until the day before. And so I went in for my overdue checkup. I was 10 days overdue and they sort of told me, yep, there's a lot of amniotic fluid. So the normal measurement would be seven centimetres from baby's neck to uterine lining. You have 31 centimetres of fluid there. Um, and they had me on a monitor and they kept saying, oh, big healthy movement on the ultrasound. And I could feel nothing, but I could see these arms extending on the um, ultrasound. And that was my baby moving. But because he had so much room to move, mm. I couldn't feel it. Um, and it was really obvious that that was going to impact my birth. But more than anything, it impacted my mindset. Mm-hmm. I was already incredibly anxious and quite scared. And it just made me feel less in control and more scared. So I ended up having a cesarean under general anesthetic um, Mm -hmm. after my son's heart rate dropped to about 25 beats per minute. So it got really quite scary there for a moment. Um, And I think the hardest thing for me was that I wasn't conscious for my son's birth. And I don't know where he was for the first like 45 minutes. I mean, I know where he was. He was with my partner. Yeah. He wasn't with you. He wasn't with me. Mm -hmm. And I felt incredibly robbed. Um, So the first few days were just shell shock Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm not surprised that they call PTSD shell shock before they knew what it was and called it PTSD because every memory I have from that time I don't recall this in the moment but all the memories have this like fuzz around them Mm. it's like vibration or I'm ringing in my ear everything I remember just feels so fuzzy Mm -hmm. and I remember feeling incredibly angry just so angry that I was, you know, walking out of hospital, hardly walking out of hospital. Um, I could hardly move, um, had this baby. And I guess he represented the trauma for a while. Mm. So I was full of resentment, not really bonding um, with him. And the world around me just, it was that real healthy baby, healthy mum, good outcome. Oh, let's just get on with it, you yeah. know? Off you go, and you're I all good. people saying like, oh, I went out from the last night. You're good, yeah? Oh, we popped an expensive bottle of champagne the night Sonny was born. And I keep thinking, oh, how are you celebrating? Mm-hmm. Like, I just couldn't wrap my head around that people would feel happy about what yeah. happened um, because I just felt so traumatised by it. And I think the hardest thing for me was my voice was really taken in labour. Didn't matter in an emergency scenario, you can be saying no. And obviously the doctors are there to uh, help. So in that scenario, they're doing things to you that, you know, they're getting your baby out healthily, but there are hands going everywhere and you're saying no, 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 or I'm saying no, 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 no. And I have a history of uh, sexual violence. So a lot of that is just being brought to the surface. And Mm. I never thought... I'd never heard of postpartum rage or maternal rage. Like that had never come across my radar. I'd never heard of anyone birthing under general anesthetic. Mm-hmm. I'd never, I'd never, I, I didn't know that was on the radar. Yeah. So incredibly robbed. Um, and that feeling didn't go for a long time, you know, mm. it really stuck around. So the first three weeks just feel really emotionally charged and really chaotic people would say can I come see you and I'd just say yes yeah I'd said no in labor and it didn't matter Mm. 
um, I'd said no so many times in my life and it never mattered. And I was just right back to that really fragile post-trauma victim place. Mm. So, you know, I'd been home for a day and um, my family wanted to come over and have dinner. I was like, yeah, no, yeah, sure, no worries. So they came and I'd said yes, but I just felt so out of control. Like no one should have been coming to my house. Yeah. And there was a big expectation for me to keep putting Sonny down in his bassinet to sleep. And I would go over and keep checking on him because I had such anxiety that there was, you know, his heart rate dropped, plummeted. Mm. So just really afraid that was going to happen again. And people saying, oh, he's fine. Get away from the bassinet. Come and sit down. Relax. Just mm. relax. And me just being like, oh, okay. But inside just feeling crushed because mm. what I was experiencing, it was just so clear that there was no space for it. Yeah. I meant to be happy. Full stop. Oh. Lulu, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I wish I could give you, like, the biggest hug right now. I'm angry for you and... I'm sad for you and or sad for the things that you've experienced because, you know, like you said, birth does shape your postpartum. And when things happen that you're not consenting to or that, you know, you're not aware of, of course, that's going to impact your postpartum. And then to have, you know, people coming in and being all happy and sunshine, like it's so hard to try and feel something other than, you know, grief and sadness and trauma. And so I'm just, I'm really sorry um, for you. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear sort of how, how you coped with all of that and how, like where the shift was, Mm -hmm. um, when that, when did that sort of come? That's a great question. And thank you. Look, I I feel sad for me too. um, When I, reflect on postpartum because it's just so far from anything I wanted and it's so far from you know we've both done some doula trading now it's so far from what you should inverted commas be doing for like mm. so postpartum I never napped I didn't want to sleep I was so afraid of the lights going dark again um I didn't want to mm. sleep I I just like all this strange behavior started happening. Um, And to my loved ones who came and visited, I said yes to them. You know, Mm. I was saying yes. So it's not, they weren't to read between the lines. Like they were getting a very sunshiny me back too. And then I'd shut the door and I would just be so full of rage. Yeah. I really tried to live this dual life where Mm. I show up in front of family or friends and this is great and then get behind closed doors and be really falling apart yeah really really lucky that I had incredible midwife care post-birth in hospital they really took their time to debrief with me they really took their time to center my care even though I was in a shared room um, and they had lots of other patients to look after I could tell they were prioritizing me Um, and they kept coming to me and saying what happened to you is a really big deal what's happened is a really really big deal Mm -hmm. and you're probably going to feel angry and you're going to need aftercare Um, and I'm also lucky in the sense, well, lucky and unlucky. I have a long history of mental illness because of the trauma I've experienced. So I understood that getting into early care and getting something going really soon would be most beneficial to me. So I was recommended to a place called the Raphael Centre in Geelong, which deals with uh, peri and postnatal anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And I birthed in November, but they couldn't see me until January. 
And I just said, no, I don't have time for that. I just Mm -hmm. knew in my body, I don't have time for that. So I went back to my GP and said, I need a psychologist. My psychologist in Melbourne was a bit alternative. Um, Can you find me someone similar? I think I said. Mm -hmm. And there was one psychologist in Torquay who specialised in birth trauma. Mm -hmm. Off I went. And thank God. I was Mm -hmm. there, I think, day seven, postpartum. Yeah. I walked in. She'd been sent my hospital transcript and the first thing she said to me was something along the lines of oh darling you've been through a war Mm. and that's all I needed to hear I think and that first session she just ended by saying I think she said rage against the machine was her advice and she (laughs) was just saying like there's only one way this rage is getting out and it's if it just comes flying from you and do you know and she said to me do you know who people don't tell don't correct is the woman holding a newborn baby And I sort of thought, oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. But I really wasn't in any space to take that advice on. The rage within was just too uh, overwhelming for me. So I sort of bumbled through a bit, kept saying I'm meant to be exploring this rage. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm exploring it. But I really wasn't because I was still wearing that good girl mask that a lot of people talk about in like the birth world with birthing people. I was quite... I felt really confined in my life. I wanted to sort of parent outside of what the social norm would be, but I kept having conversations where people kept telling me, well, you have to bring the baby here to see this family member. My psychologist recommended that I do like a nesting time where I just like shut it down for four weeks and only me and my partner with the baby. And feedback from loved ones was, oh, that sounds great, but I'll be able to come and see the baby, yeah? And I just kept saying, yes, yes, Mm. yes, yes, yes. It wasn't until Sunny was about 11 months old and I was still feeling very fragile and very angry and we were rolling into his first birthday and I just thought, how am I going to celebrate this? That day is so confusing for me because it is full of joy. It's the day my son was born, Mm. but it's also full of sadness and grief and trauma. And I just thought, I can't do this how everybody's expecting me to. I can't have a first birthday where I stand up with all my loved ones and cheers, mm-hmm. God, this day happened. Um, and I, it was the first hard no I put down where I just started saying to loved ones, um, I'm not, we're not having a first birthday party. Mm-hmm. I'm not in space to do it. And I probably had about 50% of my world say, that's fine, we love you. And then I had 50% say, no we need to celebrate. Don't you understand? Celebrating is important to us. Mm. But I'd ripped that Band-Aid off. The good girl was done. I wasn't getting her being the good girl. And this is what I should have done in birth and for birth preparation. But I was just like, I don't care if everybody thinks I'm an asshole. I don't care anymore because my baby needs a mum who's functioning better. Mm -hmm. And I'm not functioning like this. I'm not functioning saying yes to everybody. Um, This isn't healthy for me to have this sort of persona where I pretend everything's fine and then I come home and I suffer alone Mm. so it was around his first birthday that I just sort of all that advice I'd gotten from my psychologist who had reassured me the whole year we'd been working together um, that your loved ones won't they won't be angry at you if you put down hard boundaries and it just was a really hard lesson for me to learn who my real loved ones were. Yeah. Like who's, where's the unconditional love and where, where it isn't. Yeah. Um, and that was when real healing started to happen. Mm-hmm. was when I started to really center 
my own story mm -hmm. and center my own journey and center Sonny. But mm -hmm. to center Sonny, I had to center myself. Yeah. When he's one, everything is about the mother's health, you know, like those, he's, he's still little and relying on me completely. Mm. And it took me a long time to sort of understand that. I'd been yeah. late and selfish my whole life. And I think I was just so like, scared to be called selfish again that I just mm -hmm. oh, I'll just say yes to everybody but I soon realized that the only way I was ever going to sort of start to put myself back together was if I really started to say no to things and no without explanation just no yeah and we're allowed to do that as mums I just think we forget that absolutely and I think when you're saying about um, you know putting those boundaries in place and and some people in your life weren't happy about that those are the people that need the boundaries the most, you know, like the people that push back are the ones that sort of need to hear no, or I'm not doing that, or I don't feel comfortable with that. And it's so hard to put boundaries in place and to say no, and it takes practice. And like you said, you know, you kind of identify with that people pleaser Ooh. personality. And I think so many of us do, and that comes down to a lot of what well, I think how we were raised as kids, like, you know, always saying, yes, thank you, please sit here, be quiet, kind of just, you know, playing into that role of being sort of seen, not heard. And then that kind of continues on as we grow and we don't even realise it. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy that you got to that place where you could put those boundaries down and... Um, you know, carve out that space for yourself. Um, so what was it like going forward, I guess, from Sunny's first birthday onwards? Oh, there were moments of that time. There are moments of that time that feel incredibly magical because I'd really started to step into my power. Um, on Sunny's first birthday, I said to my partner like a few weeks before, I want to go into the ocean and I want to go naked. And he was just like, okay, well, <laughs> Um, and I was, I remember the day that Sonny was born being wheeled into theatre and it being like deathly cold. My mm. blood pressure had dropped. So theatre is a cold room as it is, but my body was cold. And I remember that feeling being really palpable. So for the first six months to a year after Sonny was born, every time my body got really cold, I would have a PTSD symptom yeah. and I would get really triggered. So I said to my partner, I read a lot of research about PTSD or depression and stuff. I just find it really fascinating how, how the human brain works and um, about sort of rewiring your brain with new experiences to sort of um, divert the trigger. So mm -hmm. I wanted to go into the freezing cold ocean down near Torquay um, and to reclaim that. So we went on his first birthday. We happened to arrive serendipi serendipitously at the exact same time Sonny was born. So I went wow. into order exactly as the time he was born that was completely unplanned and that day was like transformative that moment was completely transformative I went into this icy cold water and came out to my sunny sitting on the sand the sun on my skin I just felt saved again by sunshine because mm. that's what it is to me and that really helped me realize that there's some sort of innate knowing within all of us to get us back to safety or to mm -hmm. healed or healing. I don't think I'll ever be healed. I think I will always be healing. Mm. Um, and that experience was really interesting too, because it was a bit woo woo 
so some people were here for it they were like oh my god that is incredible mm. amazing like let's go dance under the moon to celebrate it and they completely got it and then yeah. other parts of my world were like this is getting fucking weird now like she's going <laughs> into the water fucking naked what's going on but I'd already said that first no to people you know the world was demanding a first birthday party and I had said no so going into the ocean felt easier and then the next weird thing I wanted to do felt easier <laughs> and then the next no got easier and now I'm just like a queen of no's I will happily just say no to people it's yep. just it's not an offensive word it is literally just a no it mm-hmm. doesn't mean there won't be a yes to follow it at some point but I did realize and all those little tidbits of information my psychologist gave me were just starting to like connect in my brain And I think it's because I had gotten out of suffering mode, so Mm. to speak, and out of yes mode. Because yes mode was keeping me in suffering. Yeah. I wasn't able to live to my fullest. And because I was stifling all the negative emotions, all of the positive ones were being stifled as well. Mm. So I was just this, like, my, my default was just miserable. But it wasn't because I was miserable. I I thought it was because I thought found motherhood miserable, but it's just how I was doing motherhood was miserable because it didn't fit me whatsoever. Mm. So that's when we decided to sort of pack up and move back to Melbourne and get back around our friends and stuff and people who sort of could see us for this messy, magical family unit that is moving through trauma and moving through all this you know full-on stuff and trying to work out how they parent through it all Mm. and people who were just like yeah cool no worries um we see you and we love you and it actually moving back to Melbourne also gave me the opportunity it's much more diverse than where we were living to sort of get out on Instagram and connect with you mm-hmm. with other people who I found in my area yeah. so all through lockdown you know I met someone Rafferty Hollows I think you follow yeah we just connected on Instagram they live around the corner so all through lockdown I had this other mum to go on walks with and to talk about mental health with and mm. to kind of be like I'm fucked this is fucked I'm I'm struggling and yeah. just be mirrored back with yes. yeah me too babe we're in this together instead of like <laughs> oh what do you what do you mean you fucked oh like that real I remember complaining to someone who was like a generation older than me and just being like I can't do this like I'm exhausted Mm. and they literally whacked me on my back and said oh no one said it was easy Mm. and I just remember thinking is that the response Mm. is that really the response but then I got back to people who were in the trenches of parenthood and made friends with them and in the trenches of new parenthood like like waving a flag like this is fucked someone come help me and be like okay good other people are struggling too you know and that was like a <sighs> to yep. me like I could just breathe this huge breath of relief because I wasn't an alien anymore mm. or if I was an alien I just found like a whole planet of other aliens <laughs> being like we exist <laughs> we exist right <laughs> modeling is everything like if you can if you can see it you can be it so and all that sort of stuff so I had modeling of like people who would they they'd had a hard time but they were getting through it I had other people who were interested in postpartum all of a sudden who I could just like really talk about it and all the like you know oxytocin and all the scientific sort of things not just like oh diaper changes and Mm. um let's meet for coffee or whatever like I had people who really wanted to like get to the nuts and bolts of what was really happening in postpartum and and that 
that was really healing for me too. Like mm. doing my doula course was, there were times when I found it really triggering and cried a lot, but I had to, you know, yeah. I had to those things. And it's helped me really make sense of like the rage I was feeling from like a scientific level and a hormonal level and all this mm. stuff. So knowledge really became power for me. Mm. Um, and it, it was like life experience knowledge from people who could like, sit in circle and share their stories of parenthood and I could sort of see myself in them and then actual knowledge from the internet of like reading about postpartum doing courses learning about hormones all this sort of stuff and being like oh yeah yes I was angry because of what happened but I was also angry because like cortisol and adrenaline mixing with oxytocin can produce aggression so yeah. like there was also like I didn't hate my baby I might not have even hated breastfeeding that much like mm. my hormones were just going and crazy. no one no one really explains that to you do they like mm. you know and that's such important information to know um in those early sort of days and weeks but it's just not yeah really looked at at all you kind of have to like you said you have to go out on your own and discover all these things as you're training 12 months later <laughs> and you're like oh okay that's what was happening. Um, yeah. I think this is where doulas are important because they can come in and sort of be, for the right mum who's looking for that information. Now, some mums don't want that information. That might be too stressful. But for me, I was the mum who needed the doula that could come in and actually explain on a physiological level what was happening to me. That's mm -hmm. what my psychologist did as well. She was like, mm -hmm. let me explain to you what your brain's actually doing. Let me explain to you how your body's reacting to this situation. Like, yes this is you but it's also bigger than you there's bigger things at play here and it just sort of helped me feel like oh my I keep saying it but less of an alien like I just I just felt like I was this woman holding a baby and the world was moving so quickly around me and I was just like help and everyone's like why do you need help I'm just mm. like what do you mean why do I need help <laughs> like what is going on and it wasn't until I found other voices that were like oh yeah fuck help is necessary I was just like oh, okay cool like I can do this I just couldn't do it how I was trying to do it because that's what I thought I should be doing not how I actually intuitively wanted to be doing it hmm. does that make sense yeah and it's interesting how you said um <laughs> uh before about you know saying to someone that you're not coping and they were like you'll be right you know I was talking to someone about this recently um she had I think we've all had that experience which is so so shit to be like be vulnerable and be like hey I need help and that someone says to you I did it it's not that hard or this is what you asked for or you know Every, like hundreds of thousands of women have done this before you why is it so difficult for you and you end up feeling even worse and I think so much of that mm -hmm. comes from like our, our parents generation of just kind of being compliant not complaining getting it done and being that kind of martyr in motherhood even though our parents were probably mm -hmm. suffering a lot as well um, and so much of that is then modeled to us and you know, to other mothers our age. Um, yeah. And it's just, it doesn't help anyone. Like it's not hard to say, I'm really sorry. That's what you're experiencing. You know, it, it's so hard. Like, you know, there's things you can say to just make people feel less alone. And I just wish that we could like all stop 
stop, stop this nonsense. Like <laughs> who's got their shit together? I don't know who she is. Like, where is she? I don't know anyone that's got their shit together. I think we, we have like become weirdly obsessed with like perfectionism in a way where every, mm. no one's perfect, you know, and perfectionism is fucking boring as well. Like it's more interesting to have nuance and light and shade and all this stuff. And motherhood is full of light and full of shade. Like mm. it is full of shade. And we focus on the light. And I wonder if this is driven from a historical context because for so long women you know, we couldn't have a career. Really, motherhood was the pinnacle of what we could do. Um, and there probably wouldn't have been much space for uh, having a negative experience of it because that was the goal. That was your fulfillment. It wasn't much of a career you could do. So you really focused on your home fires. And I think that's something that, um, you know, patchwork is a generational skill set. Is that how I would put it? It's traditional. It's got and I'm very like an older generation than me. Um, they're not in the baby bearing years. And I think, and this is me talking out the side of my mouth, there are the years where they didn't have much choice in their career. They could only really have kids. So motherhood was really fulfilling for them. Mm. So I would, you know, show up at work, which was a patchwork business with my baby in early postpartum. And I would say, hey, I'm not enjoying this. And I would be met with crickets almost. Mm. Because like, what do you mean? And like my mother, no, this is her true experience. Like she had three kids, all vaginal births, and she loved motherhood. Mm-hmm. She loved motherhood. Like she always talked about how growing up, it was like play school in our house. There was just paint easels everywhere and kids running around. And she just loved it where that didn't didn't and still doesn't feel true to me like I love my kid I don't love motherhood Mm. and I remember just thinking ah fuck there's something wrong with me because I don't like this there weren't many voices in my world in the early postpartum that was saying yeah I don't I don't fucking love this either (laughs) I hate playing (laughs) I don't want to pretend to be a dinosaur anymore (laughs) I I I'd had, I'd built such a life around me where self-care took such an extreme uh, importance because of my mental illness history. And all of a sudden there's no time for self-care. Mm. I've just got a baby to care for and my wheels are spinning and I'm being told, oh, you'll be right. And I'm struggling and everyone around me loved it. My brain just couldn't mm. work out what was going on. Yeah. Well, my brain was dealing with extreme trauma and also trying to work out how I relate to a world that felt like it no longer fitted me. Mm. The work I was doing, it didn't feel like it fit me. Where I was living, it didn't feel like it fit me. Mm. I missed my friends. And all of that just computed to, I hate motherhood and I hate my baby. No, No. that's not what it was. Mm. I just needed to tweak and pivot and twist and try new things. And even though it killed me because I had such extreme social anxiety, get myself out there, meet some new people. Mm. Um, And it slowly, slowly, slowly turned around. That's not to say I still don't have days where, you know, I've got PTSD. There are times in the days where I'm right back in that birth seat. I'm right back in that hospital theatre room. Mm. Um, Those days are less and less now but it's hard and it has shaped me. You know, there's that Isha Oaks quote that's like the first 42 days 
uh, the next 42 years. I yeah, love yeah. that quote and I hate that quote because yeah. the 42 days for me were fucking shit. So mm. now I'm thinking the next 42 years are going to be fucking shit? No, 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 no. I can really, I'm steering this shit. I think there's so much power yeah. in like, you know, once you get to that point like you did around the 11-month mark of, you know, taking back some of your power and your control of not rewriting history because it's important to, you know, experience what we experience, but you can still have a nice 42 days of postpartum in your first year, like after 12 months. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be from day one. I remember like for me, I didn't get to do not kind of similar to your experience, but not exactly the same, but I didn't have my son. He wasn't given to me straight away. And, um, you know, I didn't get that golden hour or the breast crawl. And so I remember um, it was, Amberly Harris, who's a lactation consultant, she came over to help me when he was about eight days old. And she's like, let's do a breast crawl now. And I'm like, what? We can do that? And I'm just like, you know, I just didn't realize, like, it's of course, it's not the same as, you know, what I had planned to do in the hospital. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't run a bath and, you know, put some pretty things in it and have a golden hour in the bath three weeks later, three months later, might be a bit difficult with an, you know, 18 month old, but you know, (laughs) it won't be as peaceful, but you know, there are things you can do. Like you said um, recently on your Instagram that, you know, this week you're doulering yourself because you're going through a hard time. There's no reason why you can't eat beautiful food, you know, when your son is two and a half and just rest and, you know, just be slow and, that can be your 42 uh, 42 yeah 42 days I was gonna say 42 years um you know there's there's no reason that you can't sort of take back that control and and rewrite some of that so that is so true Steph and I think that's so important to notice um to make a point of um because quite often we hear about you know uh, vaginal births being the best to boost your hormones to get the best bond to do this to do that and I was so aware from like knowing everything I knew about depression and unfortunately for me my pregnancy we spoke more about postpartum depression than postpartum mm. um, because I had a history of depression um, and I remember holding my baby in hospital and thinking well it's fucked it's fucked now because I didn't get the vaginal birth and I didn't get the golden hour mm. and the oxy- our oxytocin levels have been ruined and my bond's going to be ruined and I'm going to struggle 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 and this is where working with my psychologist or working with a psychologist who is like educated in the space, she really drove home for me and as did um, the newborn mother's course that hormones change moment to moment. Yeah. You can change that. You can boost that. I still do skin on skin with my kid now. Mm. And it's never really because he needs it. It's because I need it. If mm. I'm having a shitty fucking day, I just like rip my top off, rip his top off and have like a really big fucking cuddle. Mm. Um, and it's things like going into the ocean and coming out and doing all these other things, having a bath with your baby, doing the breast crawl. You get to rewrite those moments on a level that won't be, it, you'll, it'll never get that moment back, no. but it can be healing. It yes. can be incredibly healing and you get to sort of claim back moments that you've lost. And I think that, oh, sorry, something just like fell on my window when we're saying, um, you know, I remember so much of my rage was that I didn't, 
I hated being pregnant and I just sat through my whole pregnancy saying, do you know what? It's going to be worth it. I'm going to birth this baby. They're going to put this baby on my chest. I'm going to get that beautiful golden hour. My partner is going to look at me and say, you did it. You're incredible. And mm. all of this will be worth it. Mm. I woke up in recovery. The first thing I said is, is my baby dead? That's the mm. first sentence I said. And they said, no. Um, oh, can we get Lou's baby here? And they wheeled my baby to me. Sonny was wearing a beanie. My mind was blown. Like that the first time I met my baby, he's clean, he's wiped off, he's wrapped in blankets, he's wearing a beanie. I have no idea where, he, where he's been. I just yeah. want time to get dressed. And I'm just like, this has been ruined. Like this whole mm. thing has been ruined, but it hadn't been ruined. I just needed to create some space for myself to like feel all of that. And mm. then I could take back control of rewriting all that. I do this thing with Sunny in our bed where we've got a pink doona cover and I put it over us and it's like we're in a womb space together mm -hmm. and I think we're in the womb together and we're going to be born and we're going to be born together and this time you're going to stay with me and we like come out of the doona I'm like oh it's a boy and I hug him and I hold him and the first time we ever did that I just had like tears streaming down my face it was like a random Thursday afternoon there was no special ceremony in place I just whipped the doona over our head and thought oh, this looks like we're in a womb. Mm. Oh my God, I'm, I can recreate our birth right now. And that moment was huge for me as well. Like mm. that felt incredibly healing. And again, that was just another light going into the ocean. Another moment of, yeah, what happened is really hard and has really sculpted who I am. But it doesn't end there. Mm. It does not end there. That's got um, me feeling all teary now. <laughs> My story is like really hard, but there's so many beautiful moments of, you know, bond and love and overcoming hardship. And, you know, a lot of people I think have like a, a second birth and that becomes their, their healing. They, they got to claim back their first birth. Now, I'm not brave enough to go back again. I've made peace with that, but there's so much other healing available to me other than just having another birth experience to right the wrongs. Mm. It, I just have to get a bit creative mm. you know, and forge an alternative path. And then, you know, sometimes I tell my healing stories and I can see like pe behind people's eyes are a bit blank because they just think, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit weird. She puts a doona over her head when she's being born. And to those people, I just say, whatever. But yeah. They haven't had your experience. Well, like, right? And it's not up to them to heal me or to get it, but it makes sense to me. Yeah. And, and it's doing things for me on a level that's almost incredibly hard to put into words. But slowly, slowly, I'm just putting myself back together. And this version is better. And it's better because of the trauma. Mm. And that's hard to say and not to say that, it had to happen or that I deserved what happened or I wanted what happened. Mm. None of that. But it is sculpting me in a way that is going to make my life way more fulfilling than it was before. Yeah. And yes, that's from motherhood, but it's also from birth trauma. And that I resonate with that so much because I feel exactly the same. Like um, my own traumatic birth experience, you know, shaped my early postpartum and basically we wouldn't be having this conversation now on this podcast if it wasn't for that experience. Um, that's not to say I would want that experience again. It is what it is. And, and you don't have to necessarily make 
light of a dark situation or say, oh, well, it was meant to be like, you know, that's often not helpful. Um, you know, it just is. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. Mm. And it's sculpting and it's changing. And uh, yeah, like you say, I went through a real phase where I was like, it was meant to happen. So I could be a doula. And it, I almost tried to like shove this positive spin on it. Mm. And now I've there's really no positive spin for my birth story. There's not, a, there's moments of like funny moments, um, but most of it is just pretty hard and pretty grueling. And, and like, you know, when I tell people like that, the first asking if Sunny was okay after I'd come through in recovery, like every mum I say that to just like clutches their chest and is like, oh my God. And I'm very, I was very quick to say after that, oh, but I'm one of the lucky ones because I got a yes, your baby's fine. Mm. Like there's a worse outcome there. So therefore I need to be happy. Mm. No, no, I don't have to be happy. I can be full of grief and full of sadness. I told myself for a good portion of the two years that if I was going to be a doula, I had to be able to tell my story without getting emotional. I'm an emotional person. Mm. That's impossible. Mm. Like I trained myself to think that crying about this means that you're not a good, you're not good at being a doula. Mm. I actually think that recognizing that it is an emotional story actually makes me a better doula. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to go in. And I really do. I don't know how I find these clients, but I'm hoping they find me. I would love to work with women who have had traumatic births. Yeah. I would love to just sit with them and hold them and tell them that, you know, there's, there's nothing I can say that makes this better. Mm. The best thing anybody said to me was my partner. And he looked at me and he said, what happened to you was fucked full stop. Mm-hmm end of the statement yeah just went yeah it was (laughs) there was no oh but look how beautiful your baby is or lucky you went but we're lucky what had to happen had to happen so that you and Sunny are safe there was no Mm. bow on it it was just a statement and that what happened to you is fucked and that has changed how I show up in the world and I'm sure my friends were like god that's pretty blunt because my friends will tell me things now and I'm like that sounds shit Full stop. Yeah. Because I just I think that sometimes is the best thing, you know. Yeah. Like, I didn't need anyone to come and take it away or to tell me I'm doing a good job or to tell me my baby's beautiful. I, I know my baby's fucking beautiful. He's gorgeous. Like, mm. I just needed people to show up with me and say, yeah, that's that's a doozy. Yeah. No wonder you're feeling a bit fucked up inside. Mm. Um, I, I could breathe, you know. I could just breathe after that. Like, yeah. When you were saying earlier about, you know, not getting emotional about sharing your story and that that might mean that you're not, in quotes, a good doer. Um, I think I always, I can't remember who told this to me, but they said, you know, come from, like if you can work from a place from a scar rather than a wound, mm-hmm. I love that, that's what's going to make the difference. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like I can't ever be like, oh, yes, my my birth was this and that, and I am unemotional. I am a robot. Like (laughs) it's just never going to be like that. But, you know, I think it does open you up to, to working with a, you know, a certain type of person who has had a, you know, it it means that you can relate to people who have had traumatic birth and, um, and that's really important. Mm, Definitely. And I want to reassure them that there's space for their story too, because I really felt like, Oh, I can't talk about my birth because a pregnant woman might hear it and and I'm still very aware of that like my story is not the story for a pregnant person mm. you want to 
pregnant friends like tell me about Sunny's birth I'm like let's trade stories once later birth yeah Um, and that's a very responsible thing for you to be doing because I don't yeah no pregnant woman needs to hear that in that moment I remember being 28 weeks pregnant and someone turning around to me and saying oh 28 weeks my friend lost her baby I just and I literally said to them shut up and I turned on my heels and walked away good walk away I said 28 weeks pregnant I can't hear this story like why why do people do this why anyone listening to this right now stop it (laughs) you're a pregnant person you have permission to say people shut up like my brain does not tell me that story later not when I'm about to give birth not when I'm pregnant like just protect the pregnant people please yes Um, but in saying that there there should be space for trauma birth stories you know it's important that we share these stories for our own healing but I also think it's important that as a fellow, you know, trauma birth person to hear another story, it's the Me Too movement, you know. I listen mm. to your story on your podcast and they're very different stories, but there's just this sort of, again, this kind of breath you can breathe again because you just sort of feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not alone in these feelings of sadness, grief, pain, anger there's actually a lot of people out there like me and there is a solidarity in numbers. And sometimes Mm. it's just hearing another woman or birthing person's story and just saying, Oh, wow. Like I'm, I'm not alone. Like I can share my story too safely. And I think that's the most healing thing we can do is just to speak up and say, do you know what this thing kind of happened to me that makes me feel a certain way. And just having people listen like that, that's a true gift. No advice, no need to fix. You, I mean, point out it's fucked. That feels great. But, you know, just just talking. And that's a good advice for the world. I think if you're if you have a friend who's just given birth and she's just talking and talking and you're thinking, oh God, she's telling her birth story again. I've heard this. Just let the woman talk. Mm. Let her talk and talk. And if if the floodgates are open and the words are coming out, just just let them talk because mm. that's probably going to be the most healing experience for them. It's just yeah. the- to speak about their experience without someone saying oh the baby did something cute or something like that um so yeah that's I think been really healing for me is just to speak up and say well actually this thing happened when my son was born that didn't feel very good and have other people say oh wow I see you and I hear you and I'm here for you Mm. I'm interested to know about how obviously you have a, a creative side to you yes um with this beautiful patchwork patchwork work sounds funny um like did you were you able to sort of incorporate any of that into your um postpartum you know to was it sort of an outlet or how did that kind of or did you just not do it at all like I'm just interested to hear about how that (laughs) played a role in things excuse me um yeah, so I, I've been making quilts for about 15 years. It's like an intergenerational gift. My mum is a quilter. Um, and patchwork for me has always been incredibly restorative in a mindfulness sense um, and ritual-based. You know, there, there's a certain step and process that you follow. And I sew everything by hand. So these things are a very slow process. Um, And I think in the early days of postpartum, I didn't have much time or space for it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the moment I picked up uh, a needle and thread again, it's healing to me. It feels calm. It's a place to stop and think. Um, And 
it gave me a lot to sort of ponder on too, because I, I started working on a new quilt that grew alongside me in postpartum um, and really changed how I see my aesthetic and my design style. And I think that's something that is really beautiful about handcrafts is that there are many times in your life where sometimes you feel like you're standing still a bit and postpartum really felt like that for me. The days were moving incredibly slow and I felt so trapped in the grossness of trauma. So I just could sew and like one, one bit became two bits, became three bits, became four. And this thing kept progressing alongside mm. me. And it gave me a space to reflect on how I was progressing too. It's very symbolic. It is very symbolic. And it's also really great because these things are a creative expression. It's just like painting or other creative outlets. Patchwork is just a, you know, you are putting yourself into these projects through your choice of color and design and, um, you get to sort of, yeah, sort of reflect on yourself while you're reflecting on your quilt. Mm. And you will quite often hit a part of the process where you're unsure. You're unsure of the fabric in the quilt. You're sitting in a lot of uncertainty because you're not necessarily sure that the choice you've made to include the orange will pay off in the end or whatever it might be. But you sit in uncertainty and you overcome it again and again to just kind of edge the needle closer and closer to a finished product mm. and that just felt really symbolic to me of what was happening in postpartum mm, that absolutely. I was just edging myself closer and closer to a, a happier state of being mm. and that I was growing slowly um, and I think that slow growth of the quilt uh, really helped me realize that I was changing even if I couldn't see it in the yeah. moment piece by piece I would look back piece by piece and mm -hmm. oh I've grown so much I also think making is um I think because it's a domestic skill sewing it's often seen as a, a woman's thing and you know birth is more of a female-centric thing not to say only females give birth but you know it is mm -hmm. women's work I'm using quotation marks mm -hmm. um and there's a common thread there mind the pun which <laughs> making babies and making quilts you know yeah I mean? and I really thought that I would have quilting and that would be there'd be a clear division between my quilting work and my doula work mm. where now I'm starting to realize you know the quilting is my special source you yeah. know what as doulas find your special source what are you bringing to the table mm. and I know that not all my clients will want to dab dabble in the art form of making quilts but it's definitely something I could include for them yeah um, so I'm actually going to find a way to include it in all my packages as like an optional extra because I really do think like you have to make the whole quilt it might be a cushion you might make a play mat for your babe mm. it's something just to pick up and do yeah um, I think that's a great idea like even just if it's five minutes a day just somewhere a space for you to just tune out from the noise and come back to yourself yeah you know, it's quite often you might find yourself on the couch on your phone scrolling because mm. you just like you just want to like zone out. Well, I'm telling you now to have that needle and thread and just be doing those stitches. It's much more restorative than scrolling on your phone. And don't get me wrong, I do a lot of scrolling as well. <laughs> um, but I feel different after mm. I do my patchwork. And it might not be patchwork for everyone. Maybe it's painting, cross stitch, knitting, 
Jenga, I don't know. You might puzzles is you'll find something where you can it's a, it's a space to exhale and it's a space just for you. You know, I don't have to include my toddler in my sewing. In fact, it's better if he's not included. Yeah. So it's for me at the end of the day and I think that's really important as well. And um, did you is that quilt finished the one that you oh, I want to see it. <laughs> uh, I'll post on my Instagram. I'll yeah. It's called Me Mama Goose and it's um I made it for Sunny uh, and I'm really, really happy with it. It's a bit more modern than my other quilts and it's really made me realise like um, I don't think I've really ever explored my design style and motherhood gave me a space to sort of do that because I got to look at myself through a new lens. Mm. I was one of those people where I was like, oh, people who have kids and they change, what losers, you know, and then I had a baby and it, like changed me completely mm-hmm. it's like whoopsie sorry to all those people I judged before but mm. I got to see life through a new lens and that definitely sort of permeated into my making as well and it's made it better I think I think motherhood makes you uh I think it's a better version of yourself but you just gotta get out of the trenches and onto the the other side of it to really mm-hmm. accomplish that um but yeah I love I love my quilts they're like my original babies that's so beautiful Lily thank you so much for being so vulnerable and honest and sharing everything I think that a lot of people are going to listen to this and and resonate with lots of different parts of your story and um yeah I feel very honored that you that you shared with me on my podcast um yeah, I just, I'm going to go back and listen to it again and again and again. I just feel like it was such a beautiful conversation. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Steph, thank you for having me on here. It's a real honour. As I said, it's been hard for me to find space to uh, talk about my story and it just feels so cathartic to show up here and have the floor to just really say what is real and true for me. So thank you. It's been beautiful and I love everything you're doing. I love your podcast. So. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please come over and say hi on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out. Uh, my handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H. That's where I'll be sharing podcast episode updates too. Hope to chat to you soon.